the hunting athlete, I believe, is just starting to um, starting to get get some ground, and 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 people are starting to really recognize that hunters are uh, you know a specific um, type of athlete that that needs specific types of training. And the reason I like to see these um, everybody out there training and getting involved with some sort of a training regimen is to just announce to really the the people who might be on the fence about who hunters really are and what kind of people they they are um that they can see that we're a very very uh supportive community we are very conscious about our health and we're not just running around like riding in the backs of pickups shooting things out the back of a pickup and throwing beer cans out the window right we're 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 preparing we take our sport serious um we're supportive of others who are who want to get involved, who are involved, who want to get their kids involved, um, and um, I, and that's that's the best we can hope for is you know for for people to see hunters in that kind of a light where we're really supportive of not just um, our community but our we're, we're conservationists. We we want the best things for all all the public lands. We want access for hunters and fishermen and for hikers and for for bird watchers we and you know that's who we are that's who we are when you think of what it means to be a hunter what do you think of do you think of someone that rises long before the sun to watch the forest come alive? Maybe images of camo and orange vests come to mind. Elmer Fudd, perhaps. What about being an athlete? Someone that pushes their physical limitations in an effort to reach a goal. On the podcast this week, we have Kenton Claremont. He's a hunter and a physical trainer, and he's taken the idea of the hunting athlete and turned it into a competitive event under the name Train to Hunt. These events test hunters' physical and mental strength. But it's not just for fun. They're designed to prepare hunters for the upcoming season while encouraging a year-round healthy lifestyle. Join me as we hear how Kenton came up with the idea, what the Train to Hunt event looks like, and what it means to be both an athlete and a hunter. I'm Henry Jordan, and this is Your Wild Place. All right, so I'm, my name is Kenton Claremont, and I'm the owner of Train to Hunt. Um, I've been Train to Hunt. We started back in 2010, believe it or not. It's been a long time. Um, I live in uh, Medical Lake, Washington, and really, what Train to Hunt is is it was it was birthed out of this idea that hunting has some specific uh, modalities that you have to be trained up in, in order to be efficient at. And so I was just at a gym. I owned a CrossFit gym and I was training everybody from basketball, baseball, gymnasts, all these athletes, these traditional athletes. And, um, every September I'd take the whole month off and I'd go hunting. And, um, prior to that, you know, working up to that, my uh, fitness regimen always changed. And I, I started getting ready for hunting season, which required a lot more endurance training. And then just strength training in order to 
you know, pack heavy loads around the mountains on these crazy terrains, you know, these get, try to get myself prepared, my body prepared, my shoulders, my, my, uh, core, my legs, my lungs all ready for, uh, you know, what was about to happen, which is I'm going to be required to, to, you know, pack these, these heavy loads around the mountain. So, um, it dawned on me that there was really nobody out there training the hunting athlete. Um, and I, and I say athlete because it, like I said, is specific, um, any kind of, uh, outdoor recreation, whether it be hunting or bike riding or kayaking or, or anything that you do outdoors where basically your field of play, um, is outside. 10 years of growth must mean he's doing something right. I wanted to find out what type of person participates in a train to hunt event. Why would someone in the hunting community seek this out? We, we uh, realized that a lot of our clientele were people who really prepared like June, July, August and went and hunted September, October. And then right around December, they were, uh, they were thrown in the towel for, uh, for a few months because there really wasn't anything there. Kind of their big Super Bowl was hunting season. And after that, they took this huge time off. Um, and I wanted to try and give them something um, to stay in shape for because really I, I, I preach um, year-round fitness. And even if it's your, you're in a, a, you know, in a spot in your fitness regiment of just maintenance, um, just giving them something to – to prepare for. And so I started the train to hunt challenge that ran usually May, June, July, August, um, and gave them these workouts to, you know, get ready and come out and do these challenges. And the challenges were really, um, they were a combination of, of 3d shoots, um, meets kind of the CrossFit world meets the Spartan race world. And they were just basically, they were these obstacles that I felt like best suited the hunting athlete, um, picking things up off the ground and putting them on your shoulder, stepping up on boxes, um, um, running uh, trail loops. Um, and in the early days, we, uh, we had, you know, fairly heavy, heavy packs that we used to have people um, haul around these, these tr systems of trails and finish up. But it was a combination of shooting and fitness. And really, the idea was to try and get them to understand the importance of not just being fit, but being able to shoot under pressure, um, shoot from different positions. Um, we had them shooting from a kneeling position. We had people drawing their bows and holding for 30 seconds, simulating um, the, uh, the opportunity is a delayed opportunity once you get your bow back, whether that the deer or elk, um, you know, faced you and you didn't have a shot and you had to just kind of hold until the opportunity arised. Um, but that was what the, the train to hunt challenge events are. And that's what they still are. We didn't, unfortunately we weren't able to do them this year, just like every, every other event holder, but um, that's what they've been. The train to hunt events are broken into two day long sections. The first day consists of the challenge course. Imagine you're doing, you're basically doing this physical challenge, you're running this loop and you're shooting. This happens five different times. The first challenge was usually a, a step up um, and over the box holding uh, a sandbag. The next one was normally a ground to shoulder, which simulates loading your pack. 
So you would just take this sandbag and you'd take it from the ground, you'd put it on your shoulder, and most of the time we had them step over the box again, down back to the ground, back to your shoulder, step over the box, do that 20 times and then run the loop and then shoot. And then the third one um, was usually a, uh, a, a burpee of some sort. So, you know, chest to the ground, stand up over the box, face the box, burpee over the box again, run your loop, shoot. And then the uh, last thing that we had them do was a get up, which basically means you're going to hold your sandbag. You're going to lay flat on your back, stand back up, go over the box and repeat this um, anywhere between 10 and 20 times, depending on the event and then run the loop, shoot. And then after you shoot your fourth arrow, that's when you pick up your, your backpack. It's already loaded, just waiting for you to pick up and take for a ride. And then you would hit what we call the mountain course. So this is all being timed from go all the way through. So on go, you're going to be doing your challenges, your run loops, your shots, and then you're going to put your backpack on. And then we send you out on the mountain course, which was anywhere between a mile and two miles. And along this mountain course, you would stop and shoot two targets. Um, there was two shooting stations. And again, if you shot well, you're rewarded. If you shot poorly, um, you had a penalty. In fact, if you shot so poorly that you missed the animal completely, um, you had to take your backpack off and, and do 20 burpees before you could even continue down, down the, the track. So once you finished that whole loop, we would stop your time and write your basically your run time down. And then we would gather all the information we needed in terms of your shooting, which is six arrows. And then we would adjust your time according to how you shot. And that was your official time. So we put people in, in, in competition with um, just people who were in the same gender and same age. And we rewarded that way. Um, as, as the, the events kind of um, matured and progressed and I got some, I listened to a lot of the competitors talk about um, some different opportunities that they might be looking um, to get into the events. Um, we started a team competition, which was teams of two where you and a partner could, could share the burden of the, of the exercises and the shooting and the packing. And so you did it alongside your, your partner, which was a really popular um, way to do the event as well. And it was a lot of, it was a good way for people to kind of come in and get introduced to the event. Um, it took the intimidation factor down a little bit. And then once they did the event with a partner, it wasn't, it was pretty common the next year they'd come out and uh, do an event solo or maybe even that year they would do one solo. So that's the event in a nutshell. Now, imagine doing all of that and waking up to compete in the shooting challenge, which makes up day two of the Train to Hunt event. The next day, we always shot what we called the Hunter's 3D course, which, as I mentioned earlier, it was, it's really a combination of, of accuracy, and uh, not just accuracy, but um, the, uh, testing your ability to shoot from, from different hunting positions, whether that be a kneeling position, or you may have to draw um, from behind an obstacle, step out, and then shoot. Um, you may, we had one, uh, probably our, our famous shots were the five-second shot, which simulated a very small window of opportunity where you had five seconds to draw your bow, acquire your target, and then shoot. Um, we had another one that was the 30-second hold where you drew your bow, 
you held it for 30 seconds, the judge said all clear, and then you shot. And then I think probably our most famous shot, Henry, was um, we, had, we called it the follow-up shot. And it was, it was um, you, you draw and shoot your first arrow untimed, but as soon as you shot your first arrow, you had 12 seconds to reload your, reload your next arrow, draw back, and get your second arrow um, downrange and into, into the target, which everybody, it was always everybody's nemesis, but it was also a, uh, probably one of the most um, email, you know, I, got a, I probably got the most emails about, man, I can't believe how much that helped in this season because I shot this, I shot this deer, or I shot this elk, or I shot this pig or whatever. And um, it really, since I'd been training for that and practicing that, um it came really easy and i was able to get another arrow in into into the elk or the deer or, or whatever they were hunting so it was it, really the the whole nature the whole purpose behind the 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 hunter's 3d course was to encourage and people to start practicing these shots that they that may come up in in their hunting season that normally people just didn't they just didn't practice they just stood at you know, stood at 20, 30 yards in a comfortable position with their feet set right, and they just send arrows down range, and that was really the, all they were doing. They weren't really practicing these scenarios in their backyard. So this uh, this really gave them a, a reason to do that. And then, lo and behold, they get out in, into the their uh, their hunting season, and they use these opportunities and and be able to cash in on on these harvests which was which is the whole point of the of the of the experience no matter the sport they always set the stage for dramatic and inspiring stories i asked kenton if there were any particularly memorable moments from a train to hunt event that stuck out to him over the years man i'll tell you there's been so many over the years that it's really hard to put a finger on i i can tell you that being in this scene, I can tell you that over the years, I've seen so many lives change in terms of like how they looked at fitness because um, I have one guy in particular out of Oregon, his name's Scott Carr. The first time I saw him compete was the first year that we were in Oregon. And man, the guy had a, a heart of a lion, but just had not really committed to his training regiment until he came out and uh, did a train hunt challenge. And I remember him looking me in the eye and saying, man, this has changed every, the way I look at fitness completely. And I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to stick to this program. And um, now Scott is an absolute animal, an absolute animal. Like I, he, he's told me like, this is just something that's changed his life, flipped it on its head. And he's probably the healthiest he's ever been. Um, he's an inspiration to a lot of the people in the train hunt community because of his story and his transformation. And, um, just that's one, that's one of many, and it brings families together. I've heard everything from, um, it's, some, it's finally something that my wife and I have something that we can do and together and have in common. And man, you know, my wife saw the hunting community in a certain light until she came out and did a train to hunt challenge. And now she sees it in a totally different light where we're 
really supportive of each other and wanting to do things right. And um, those are great stories. Um, I probably the the individual story during an event that sticks out to me the most. We had a guy in in Colorado who was really like really struggling with his, the backpack portion of the uh, of the challenge, and man, he was he was grinding through it, but um, was really struggling and the competitors on their own kind of lined up at the finish line. There must've been, there was over a hundred people there and they lined up at the finish line, like right before the finish line and cheered him in to the, the finish line and to see his face and to see everybody pulling for this guy. And was just, it was unreal. It gave me chills. And uh, even to this day, just thinking about it, um, makes me really proud to be part of the train to hunt community and and that's that's a story that plays over and over and over at these events is how supportive and people are with um your willingness to come out and just participate in in these events and these train to hunt challenges but every event has one every single event has a person where i'm like man you know, I'm so inspired and, and consequently it's, <clears throat> it always seems to be the, per it's never like the fittest person. Like there are some really inspiring motivational um, stories around how people are just out there killing these challenges and just able to go out there and torch them. I mean, just, just get around them and blow the competition away. But the really the most like inspirational stories are the people that come out and and just grit through it they grit their teeth and they just they get it done and uh um you always see the community kind of rally behind those those types of individuals it sounds like kenton has carved out this unique and rewarding niche who doesn't want to pursue their passion full-time but it left me wondering what experiences led kenton to seek out this path both my parents grew up in uh the flathead River uh, Flathead Lake Valley. There, um, basically, my my mom is from Polson, my dad's from Ronan. Um, both come from cattle ranching families, um, and um, they met when they were really young. My dad was 19, my mom was still in high school, and uh, they fell in love. and And my dad moved my mom and himself over to Bonner's Ferry because that was the one uh, job that he applied for was for the Forest Service, and he he got this basically basically got the job in Bonner's Ferry. And so he moved over here and, um, started his family. They were super young, um, had four kids in five years. So my mom was 22 years old. My, my dad was, um, 24 years old and they had four kids running around and my dad was working in the forest service and my mom was doing the hardest job on the planet, trying to raise four kids, you know, under the age of five and uh that's how we we went from montana they went from montana to idaho one of the things that i really hold dear near and dear to my heart is just the time that i spent outside with my dad and i feel like i le learned a ton of life lessons in the woods with my dad and uh hearing his stories about going into the mission mountains when he was like nine years old with nothing more than a wool blanket and a fishing pole and a, a loaf of bread with 
him and his three cousins um, for two weeks. Um, those are the things that, uh, that as a kid, I just couldn't wait to, you know, I, I just thought, man, how great would that be to be able to, to just take off and, and be that independent, you know, at that young of age. And you probably, you probably get kids taken away if you let them wander out for two weeks with a wool blanket, a fishing pole. But um, yeah, knowing that my dad has, you know, my dad really just brought me up to be, you know, to appreciate the outdoors, to never take it for granted. And, um, and my mom, same way she was, you know, my mom's tough. My mom was, is really tough. And growing up in Montana and both my parents growing up in Montana, I think, you know, that just, they just kind of breed toughness over there and, uh, bringing us over into Idaho, I think, you know, just being able to have the childhood that I had running around, you know, in the outdoors with my BB gun and my bow in my hand. And, um, that was my playtime. I mean, there wasn't any, <clears throat> there wasn't much for TV and there wasn't any video games. And so it was get off of school and run in and change out of my, out of my uh, school clothes and grab my bow and, or my BB gun or whatever. And I'd be out the door and be coming home and right about dark as soon as you know I always stayed within uh, yelling distance of the house and so when mom would open the door and yell at us it's time for dinner we'd come in so I hope to bring that you know with my kids and I hope that people are are looking at that as a possibility for their kids to just be able to go out and enjoy the outdoors and introduce them to uh, you know how lucky we are to live where we we live and be able to you know take your kids out and have give them an appreciation for the outdoors too because if if we don't, if we don't pass it on to the next generation, you know, then um, th this is all going to go away. And that would be a shame because I think it's something that uh, if, if you appreciate it, pass it on, um, show that appreciation to, uh, you know, show that, that lifestyle and, and share that experience and share that appreciation with the next generation. And, and uh, I know it's hard because there's so many distractions for the young people these days, but um, getting them out outside and, and helping them to appreciate that will, will really go a long ways. Kenton's father grew up on the Flathead Reservation, and he traces his heritage to the Salish Kootenai tribe. I wanted to know more about his experience growing up in Idaho with native roots in Montana. He didn't talk a ton about his heritage, and there wasn't a lot of like of, of Indian tradition other than we, when we would go back to Montana every year, we would go to powwows and we would um, talk, you know, we had the appreciation for, you know, for, um, for dancing and circles and the stick game. And, you know, but it was like, it was really growing up. That was, instead of going to carnivals, we went to powwows and listened to the singers and watched the dancers. And um, that's where we met our relatives. And that was just kind of, that's what we did as kids was, we, you know, jumped into this and it was normal for me. It was like, that's what, that's what we did every year. We're, we're going to the, you know, we were going to go to the big arm powwow or we were going to go to the Arlie powwow. And, and other than that, he didn't talk a ton about Indian, Indian tradition, except for the fact that when we went hunting, he talked about how we always ate what we killed. We used as much as we could. And, um, and there was no waste and that we should be thankful for this animal because it gave its life for us so that we could live. Um, but in terms of like a ton of like really a, a lot of Indian traditions, 
I felt like I had a, a fairly um, traditional upbringing just from a man who loved the outdoors, had an appreciation for the outdoors. And uh, um, other than that, really, was just we went to powwows instead of carnivals. I asked Kenton if he felt his exposure to traditional Salish Kootenai games that taught practical hunting skills had any impact on his role in bringing fitness and sport to the hunting community. No, I, you know what, that's interesting because I've never thought about that. I've never thought about how I'm bringing kind of this, the, uh, these sports like the, uh, like the hoop game and this like never ending soccer field, or I can't remember exactly what the game is, but I think you understand like there was a stick and a ball and then the huge fields and, um, but no, I guess I've never really thought about bringing back this tradition of like, of, uh, of, of, uh, sport representing um hunting and that's but that's exactly what trained to hunt is i'm glad that uh, i had that upbringing i'm glad that i had you know i had the experiences of of uh of learning um the 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 salish traditions but I, i'm still learning i'm still kind of in the um in the trenches in terms of like trying to learn learn as much as i can and there's there is some information out there but there's just not a ton of information about um, the history and the traditions of the uh, of the Salish Kootenai tribe. Um, I've read treaties. I've read. Um, I've th um, there is opportunities to uh, learn the, learn the language, and I know that that that's another thing that's a really dying um, something that's really not a, not a lot of uh, people speak the native language. But uh, uh, yeah, it's something that I do take pride in, and I'm I'm I'm, ha I'm glad that I have that in my background and. Um, but that's interesting. I mean, really, to go full circle, it's interesting that you say that uh, it's kind of bringing it back, you know, bringing back this, these, this physical fitness and this, these physical tests back to what it really was. Thanks for listening to Your Wild Place, a production of Friends of Scotchman Peaks Wilderness. For more information on the Friends, visit scotchmanpeaks.org. This episode featured Kenton Claremont of Train to Hunt. You can learn more about Train to Hunt at www.traintohunt.com. This episode of Your Wild Place was edited by me, Henry Jordan. Theme music was written and recorded by Ben Olson and Katie Archer. Never miss an episode by subscribing to Your Wild Place wherever you listen to podcasts. Music